are better than the Beatles, you know? Serious. <laughs> hey, today uh, we're continuing our series through the book of Ephesians and uh, still on the second sentence of the letter. This is our fourth sermon, but it's the longest sentence in the whole Bible, okay? So chill out about it. I mean, it includes everything and God. So, so it's kind of hard to talk about. Um, and especially to talk about it publicly. I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging. And you've, you've seen those surveys that public speaking is like the number one fear, right? So I, I kind of need some reassurance. I need a, I need a kiss from, from my wife. This is, this is my wife, Susan. Just, just here, I, I'll help you up here. She's just, she's my life. And uh, she's my goodness. She's, a, she's beautiful. She's a, she's a picture of grace. So can I have a kiss? Okay. Just, just a second. Just a second. I got... <clears throat> no, thank you. That was bad. <laughs> Today's my mom's birthday. She gave, she gave birth to me. She's, she's a picture of a, of a life giver. Could I just have a hug, mom? Could it just hug me? Just hug me. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, I'll give it back. Let's pray. Father, um, would you help us, uh, would you help me to preach and to understand, help us to understand the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God, and are these spotlights, can you turn these spotlights on? Are they on? There you go, now I can see my notes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what we talked about in our first, uh, first sermon. He blessed us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's what we talked about in the second sermon, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the cosmos, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That was our third sermon. He, he chose us to choose to live to the praise of his glorious grace. And how does he do that? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness according uh, to grace. Forgiveness depends on grace. His grace. Not your choice or your repentance, or your sorrow, or your remorse, forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. How rich is God in grace? Like, kinda rich in grace? 
sort of rich in grace? You're pretty much rich, rich in grace. What's the limit of God's grace? Where does it run out? I mean, like, is it enough to cover, you know, a level six sin, but not a level seven sin? Or is it enough to, like, forgive you, uh, oh, I don't know, like 10 times, but not 11 times? Or is it enough uh, to forgive you for, like, 92 years of sinning, but at 93, God just says, that is enough sinning. I have, I've run out of grace. I've run out, I have no more blood to give. I've run out of patience, and now I will torture you eternally in hell, endlessly, 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 not to the praise of my glory. I mean, how rich is God in grace? And remember that we are to live to the praise of his glorious grace. So is that some grace, like level six grace, but not level seven grace? So glory be to the Father. No, 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 no. Level six, glory be to the Father, but not level seven. And to the Son and to... Anyway, verse seven. In him, sentence continues, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, all things. You know what all means in Greek? All, yeah, all means all. Remember that, all means all. Now, there are some words that are very hard to translate out of Greek, words that get translated like with words like eternal or ever or age or hell or grave or judgment or condemnation, but all is a very simple concept. All is all, all. And if God unites all things in Christ, and all is forgiven in Christ, and this was a plan for the fullness of time from the foundation of, of, of the cosmos. I mean, I mean, you put that all together and it sure sounds like all is, all is forgiven. The sentence continues. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, works all things according to the counsel of his will. It works, energeo is the Greek. It means effectively works or he does all things. He accomplishes all things is what the RSV says. If he accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, what do we accomplish according to the counsel of our will? Let me say it again. If he accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, what do we accomplish according to the counsel of our will? What? Zippo, okay. Could be nothing. Or his will, right? If he accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, what do we accomplish according to our will? Either his will or, secondly, nothing. In other words, we agree with his will or we will nothing, even if to us it seems like something. So number one, his will is creation. He wills it and it happens. But to will what he does not will is uncreation, desecration. It is to will nothing. To will what he does not will 
is sin. So what does God will? Well, regarding us, from the foundation of the world, we know what he wills, because he says it. Let us make man, male and female, let us make man in our own image and likeness. If he wills it, what happens? It happens, right? Right, it happens. Is your will stronger than God's will? I mean, if you just will, I'm not gonna be made in his, is your will stronger than God's will? If your answer is yes, who the hell do you think you are? I mean, seriously, who do you, do you think you are? His, his adversary? And, and do you think you'll, you'll win, even if you killed him, even if you crucified him? Do you think you'll win against, verse 11, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, first to, if there's like first fruits, maybe there's like second fruits, last fruits, later fruits, uh, first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, which he told us is grace. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 3 through 14, that is one amazing sentence. And this morning, I'd like to focus on the middle of the sentence in light of the rest of the sentence. Verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins. In him. And we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And all things will be united in in him, in him, in him. A friend of mine tells about this one day when he was waiting for a flight in the airport, he noticed this young evangelist going around evangelizing everybody. And he said he made his way toward this friend of mine and next to him was an old man, an old black man, kind of asleep in his chair. And the young evangelist walked up in front of this man, (coughs) cleared his throat and he said, excuse me sir, but are you saved? And the old guy kind of opened his eyes and said softly, I am. And the young guy pressed. He said, well, can you tell me exactly when you were saved? And the old guy said, um, not exactly. See, it was about 2,000 years ago. (laughs) But I just found out about it rather recently. (laughs) You see, that's a pretty good answer. Paul might push it back even further because uh, he tells us that we were chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. I mean, remember when we talked about this a little while ago, Flatland, and we talked about um, how two-dimensional creatures have such a hard time comprehending a three-dimensional universe, and we're kind of like those creatures in Flatland, and then we talked, we turned it over and we talked about the dimension of time and how we travel through time from beginning to end, making choices on on this, this journey, but God chose the whole thing from the foundation of the world. In other words, boom, God just chose it, and it all existed. You know, God is light. And scripture, no, God says, scripture says God is light. And physicists tell us that if we travel at the speed of light, all time is present to us in an eternal 
moment. Time is relative to light. Space and time, chronological time, is a created reality. So if you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the cosmos, before the Big Bang, that means that God chose to forgive you in Christ at least, at least, the way we measure time and this, he chose to forgive you at least 14 billion years, 14 billion years before you chose to sin. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? And he hasn't forgiven some of your sin. He's forgiven all of your sin. I mean, it was all nailed to the cross in Christ Jesus, and, and that was the decision, that was the plan from before the foundation of the world. So it's not like you could commit some sin tomorrow and God would just call off the deal. It's not like you could commit some sin and God Almighty would say, oh my goodness, I did not see that one coming. I forgot about that one. I'm gonna have to start over. I'm gonna have to get Jesus to go die on the, I hope he's willing to go die on the cross again. You know, it's not like he's disappointed with you, with me. I'm disappointed. I have all kinds of expectations that I have not lived up to, but, but God expects far more failure from me than, than I expect from myself. I mean, I mean, God is not disillusioned with me. Do you get that? God's not disillusioned with me because he never had any illusions about me. Oh my goodness, oh, I can't, I can't believe, I can't believe Adam and Eve, to, I told them, I can't believe they took that fruit from the tree. I can't believe my people Israel nailed Jesus the Messiah to that same being. Oh my gosh, I can't believe Peter Hyatt sinned. I mean, never in a thousand years would I imagine that he'd do that. I am so, I'm so disappointed. No. From the foundation of the world, he chose to forgive my sin. All my sin. All your sin. And it's not just Ephesians. Colossians 1.20, through Christ, God reconciles all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 2.13, God made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all. Isaiah 53.6, Old Testament, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, of us all. John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not some of the world, the world. 1 John 2.2, he is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. The Revelation even refers to him as the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. I think scripture is saying all your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Now I know that Jesus said if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Think about that, that, that means unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. You, you can't harbor unforgiveness in heaven. In other words, you can't wish somebody else to hell and, and go to heaven. If you don't forgive, you, you, you won't be forgiven, said, said Jesus. And yet Paul writes, all your sins are forgiven, which logically implies you will forgive as you have been 
forgiven. I mean, I mean it's, it's like there's this, this realm, this other reality beyond the dimensions, these two dimensions in which we live, a kingdom of forgiveness. And that kingdom is real and eternal and true. A kingdom of forgiveness and a kingdom of unforgiveness that is an illusion, a lie. In other words, it's temporal and passing away. It's, it's nothing. So in reality, you truly are forgiven. You don't owe God anything that God has not already paid. And if you think you do, you're living in an illusion, trapped in an illusion, a lie, a darkness, a nothingness, where you punish yourself, trying to pay imagined, uh, illusional, uh, imaginary debts and demanding imaginary debts be paid by everybody else. But forgiveness has happened at the edge of time and eternity. It happened at the cross. And that's why we are told to proclaim it. We don't bargain with the forgiveness of sins. We don't sell the forgiveness of sins. We don't make threats about the forgiveness of sins as if folks could pay for it. Acts 13, 38, we proclaim it. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to just close your eyes, wherever you are, just close your eyes, and I'm gonna proclaim it. In other words, I'm gonna preach it. The gospel, the forgiveness of sins. So number one, I, I want you to think of the worst, I, I mean, maybe most embarrassing sin that you have ever committed. Picture it. And now listen. In the name of Jesus, under the authority of his blood, your sins are forgiven you. So you cannot make up for it, you cannot fix it, you cannot pay for it, because it's already been paid for with the blood of Christ. Number two, think of a sin that you're afraid you might commit in the future. Do you have it? I really want you to do this. In the name of Jesus, if you commit it, you are forgiven. Matthew 12, 31, Jesus said, every sin, every sin will be forgiven people except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're afraid of committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, I don't think you are committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. To desire God's grace is to have God's grace. See, if you're forgiven money that you borrowed from a bank, it means that you don't have to give the money back. You can keep it. All is forgiven except unforgiveness. Think of it this way, if you're forgiven money that you've borrowed from a bank, it means that you don't have to give the money back. But if you borrow God's glory, you will have to give it back. 
God's glory is forgiveness. God's glory is grace. So if you live for the praise of your own glory, you will live to the praise of his glory, his glorious grace. In other words, you will bend the knee and worship. You will know that he is creator and he is good. You will be made in his image for you will acknowledge that you are forgiven. You know, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees when he said this, and Pharisees refused to acknowledge grace, but eventually all will give glory to God who is grace. The unforgivable sin is unforgivable, not because grace runs out, but because God is grace and never runs out. The unforgivable sin is unforgiveness. And now keep your eyes closed. Number three, I want you to think of the worst sin that someone has ever committed against you. In the name of Jesus, under the authority of his blood, they are forgiven. Number four, think of the worst sin someone could commit against you. If they commit it, in the name of Jesus, under the authority of his blood, they are forgiven. Now, now you can open your eyes. <laughs> How'd that feel? <laughs> How'd that feel? What were some words? Throw out some words. How did it feel? Good, okay, good. What, what other words? Liberating. Liberating. Did, did anybody get a little bit nervous there? Did anybody get a little bit mad? I mean, have you really been sinned against? Maybe you got a little bit mad? So it's good and mad, all those things. I mean, my, my guess is that in the first instance, number one, you, you really felt good, you know what I mean? But maybe a little offended when I said you cannot pay. In the second instance, number two, forgiven for sins you, you haven't yet committed, my guess is that, well, well it felt good, but, but then you started to worry a little bit. Because you thought to yourself, if I'm not threatened with punishment or promised a reward, I'm afraid that I won't choose the good. But that only reveals that you do not love the good, which means you only use the good to obtain something you've judged better than the good. You see, maybe choosing the good is the good. Maybe the good is its own reward. And not choosing the good is, is its own reward. And you fear not choosing the good for you haven't truly met the good and have never actually truly chosen the good. Well, anyway, forgiveness made you anxious. <laughs> if, you, if you're like me. Anxious that you might kind of like lose control. And by number three, you, you weren't just anxious, but, but I imagine some of you, and, and if you're really thinking about this, I think all of you were angry, a bit, a bit angry. How can God forgive them, right? How can God forgive them? They sinned against me. Psalm 51, after David murdered Uriah and committed adultery with Bathsheba, it points this out at the start of the psalm. This is after that. David writes, O Lord, against you, and you only have I sinned. What about Uriah and Bathsheba, right? Against you and you only have I sinned. You know, when you sin against another sinner, it's like stealing from a thief. 
It's like lying to a liar. It's like murdering a, a murderer. Against you only have I sinned, writes David. Or, or maybe after number three, you thought this. Um, that's not fair. People should pay. They should pay. And people should get what they deserve. Well, what does anybody deserve? Because really, what could they deserve it with? Uh, what could anybody uh, pay with? What could they pay with? What could one give that hasn't already been given? And, and by number four, um, my guess is there was something in you that wasn't just angry but, but terrified, downright terrified, terrified of what might happen to you if you lived like this. Because, I mean, if someone, like, took your cloak, what would you do? Well, you wouldn't prosecute. Like, give them your coat as well. If someone slapped you on one cheek, you'd like turn the other cheek. I mean, if you really lived like this, before long, you would be crucified. I mean, you might as well just like pick up a cross and carry it around with you wherever you go. Crucify me. Just be like that. Maybe you were terrified of what might happen to you or terrified that this somehow trivializes sin. You know what I mean? That God doesn't take seriously. He trivializes sin, but the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus does not trivialize sin. In fact, it does just the opposite. Somebody pays. Somebody pays. Our sin costs God his own blood and the life is in the blood. When we sin, we take his life and God forgives his life. God pays for sin with his blood. And the blood of Christ is not trivial. It is the most non-trivial thing in all creation. Well, anyway, at the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus, perhaps you were terrified that God does not take sin seriously. And thus terrified of sins that might be committed against you. And, and frankly terrified that nothing will change. That this world will just not uh, change. I mean, if God doesn't change this world through threats of punishment and, and promise of rewards, how's it ever going to change? I mean, if God doesn't lead us to repentance through a fear of hell and a lust for heaven, how's he ever going to lead us to repentance? What is it that leads us to repentance? If God doesn't punish us for spilling his own blood, how's he gonna stop us from spilling more blood? Unless, of course, there's power in the blood. Power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb of the... That's where the power is. Well, anyway, I doubt you followed all of that. I just want to point out to you that the proclamation of forgiveness is like judgment. I mean, really, it fills us with this outrageous hope and this abject terror. Psalm 130, verses three through four. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. Maybe the thing we fear most is the very thing we desire most. We fear perfect love. And perfect love casts out fear. 
I mean, maybe forgiveness is the very holiness of God, the judgment of God, the will of God, the decision of God, the very lifeblood of God. We long for it and we are utterly terrified by it, for in its presence, we are utterly undone. In fact, our entire world is utterly undone, consumed, in fact, by the eternal and fiery substance of God. Well, now, I have one more question for you, okay? I asked you about believing your sins were forgiven, and I asked you about believing that other people's sins were forgiven. And so this is the question, is it easier to believe your sins are forgiven or that another person's sins are forgiven? In other words, is it easier to forgive yourself or to forgive someone else? Well, clearly, it's easier to excuse yourself than to excuse others. I mean, psychological tests bear this out. In one study, 70% of high school seniors rank themselves above average in leadership ability. 60% rated themselves in the top 10% in their ability to get along with others. And 0% rated themselves below average. And check this one out. One survey revealed that 94% of college faculty, okay, these are people that supposedly understand math. 94% perceive themselves as better than their colleagues. I mean, clearly, 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 we're very good at excusing ourselves. We excuse mistakes, but we must forgive sins. It's precisely when something becomes inexcusable that it becomes forgivable, or at least what we mean by forgiveness in the English language is sin that needs to be forgiven. And so people say, I can't forgive that, it's inexcusable. Well, that's precisely why it's forgivable. It's sin. Sins are forgiven, not excused. So we're very good at excusing ourselves. But at forgiving ourselves, not so much. Three days ago on Thursday, went to lunch with my, my good friend, maybe my best friend. I mean, I've known him since I was uh, in high school. We went to lunch, three other friends came along with us. At a blind intersection, he, he came to a complete stop just two blocks away here. Looked both ways, then pulled into the intersection. Suddenly, something hit the front of the car with just this violent impact, and I saw a body cartwheeling through the air over the hood, and a motorcycle spinning out in front of the car, and then the body landed over on the curb on the other side of the intersection. As I jumped out, I noticed that it was a two-way stop. The motorcycle must have been coming pretty fast. None of us saw him. In fact, I think if any of us would have been driving, we probably would have done the same thing. But the motorcycle, the motor, I knew all at once the motorcycle had the right-of-way. We, we ran to the man moaning on the curb, a crowd gathered, ambulance came, took him away. It appears the fellow is gonna escape with just a broken, broken leg. I, I began to comfort my friend Andrew. And I remember I just wanted him so much to believe God's grace. Not only that he was excused, but he was absolutely forgiven for anything that he had done wrong. You know, people have confessed just about every sin to me that you can imagine. 
I was thinking about this. Abortions, murders, just about every kind of sexual sin you can think of. And I've looked him square in the eye and I've said, in the name of Jesus, under the authority of his blood, you are forgiven. And I really believe that. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't necessarily be reported to the police or shouldn't have to spend some time in jail or, or something like that. It, it means that they are not in any way indebted to God for their sin. It means that they cannot pay for their sin because Jesus the Christ has already paid for their sin with his own blood. It's incredibly powerful. It literally makes demons flee and it gives birth to life. And I have incredible confidence that they are forgiven, completely forgiven. You know, St. Paul who wrote Ephesians called himself the chief of sinners. Well, that means worse than Hitler, chief of sinners, because he persecuted the church. Jesus appeared to him, as you know, and remember what he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? See, Paul knew that he, he crucified the Christ. He took his life, and yet Jesus gave his life. He, he knew he was forgiven, and through St. Paul, through St. Paul, God wrote the Bible and changed the world. It's the power of forgiveness, the power of the blood, and I believe it. I, I really, truly believe it for others. But I need to confess, I, I really struggle to believe it for me. I need to confess that the moment I felt the motorcycle hit the car, saw the body flying through the air, I, I had this thought. It just, immediately, I, I, this was the thought. Oh, I'm glad it was Andrew. I'm glad Andrew was driving, because I can forgive Andrew, but if it was me, well, I don't know if I could forgive myself. In other words, the blood of Jesus is good enough for Andrew, God, but it's not good enough for me. Why is the blood of Jesus not good enough for me? Because of my goddamn pride. And I chose those words very carefully because you see, my pride is goddamned. That's what gets damned, my pride. Why do you forgive others so easily and have such a hard time forgiving yourself? It's not humility. It's pride. Why do people say, I cannot be, I've, I, what I've done, it cannot be forgiven. It cannot be forgiven. It's because they think that their will is stronger than God's. That's pride. To believe you're forgiven, though, is to die. It's to die to yourself. It's to die to your ego. It's to die to your pride. It's to die to a lie in which you are imprisoned, and this is the lie that you can justify yourself, that you can create yourself and must create yourself in the image of God with your knowledge of good and evil. And so we're great, we're great at excusing ourselves and horrid at believing that we're forgiven because we believe that we can pay. Religious types like me, Pharisees, like Paul, people that call themselves experts in the knowledge of good and evil, we're usually the worst. 
few, few months ago on a Tuesday after my, my weekend, I asked Susan to come pray with me because I, I just felt awful. Happens quite a bit, actually. The last five years have been pretty tough. I've seen a lot of pain. I've felt like a failure. I really don't know what's my fault and what's not my fault, but I know that in all of that, I seem to always be looking for blame. And this day, I was feeling a lot of blame, feeling a lot of shame. So Susan came up into my office, which is right up there in the corner, and I confessed my sins, and she just began to pray for me. I, I confessed a movie I felt guilty about watching. One too many glasses of wine I felt guilty about drinking. And then after a while, Susan said this. She said, Susan, I, I, or Peter, I, I hear Jesus. And he's like, he's like singing this song in some language I don't understand. And he's just so sad. He's so sad. And then she said, Peter, I, I just heard Jesus say this. He said, Peter, why do you feel like you always have to pay? See, maybe this is the very epitome of sin. That we come to this tree and we come to this table where he offers us communion, his body broken, his bloodshed, where he says to us, I freely give you myself, my very self in a communion of unquenchable love. Credit card. we try to pay. To pay for the sacrament of the covenant of love is what? Prostitution. No, no wonder he weeps. When I try to pay for love and pay for grace, it means that I've judged grace as not grace. And I don't know grace. So instead of believing I'm forgiven my sin, I try to pay for my sin with sorrow, with remorse, with drivenness, with long hours and anxiety, fear and guilt. I try to pay for forgiveness, which means I don't believe I'm forgiven. Hey. Do you know what that word forgiven means in Greek? Because it's actually not the same as English. There's Alice, and you can ask her after the service to see whether I'm lying or not. But it's this, it's this verb, aphiomi, and, and the noun is aphesis, or aphesis. And literally, in, 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 in Greek, it means to let. Like, let go, liberate, release. And so you see, it really doesn't matter if I know exactly what's a mistake and, and exactly what's a sin. It doesn't matter that I'm not able to judge myself and, and, and my world. I can just let it be. Let it be. 
Hey, do you remember what God said in the beginning? Let there be light. Let. Who's he talking to? Let, let, let there be light, let there be an expanse, let there be land, plants, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, animals, and let us, let us create, create man. Let us, let us, let, who's he talking to? Maybe himself, right? Because he's got that Trinity thing going on. Let us. Maybe he's talking to Jesus. Maybe he's talking to you. Let us, would you let us create? Do you let the creator create or must you accomplish all things according to the counsel of your own will as if you were the creator? You know, if God is the creator and you are his creation, then everything, everything is grace. Everything is grace and you cannot pay for anything. You are literally forgiven everything. Everything is forgiven you and you must let it be. You must let it be, or exist in an illusion, a lie, an outer darkness, exist in a void, or maybe even become a void. Everything is forgiven you, and, and check this out, even you are forgiven you. At creation, remember God spoke his will, his word, into the void. Maybe evil is like the great absence, the void. And sin is like a void in me that I create in me when I will what God does not will. Sin is like a void in me, an empty place within me, kind of like a womb in me. And God speaks his will, his word, his grace into me like a seed, a, a, a sperma in Greek, a seed of faith in me, good will in me, and I can only let it be. Hey, do you remember when that angel came to Mother Mary? Do you remember that thing? And, and the angel said this, fear not, for you have found grace. And the, and the verb implies like you've stumbled upon it. So that's your credit, you've stumbled upon grace, Mary. You, you have found grace from God. You will conceive and bear a son named God is salvation, Jesus, the, the son of David. And do you remember what Mary said? Let it be. According to your will, let it be. Psalm 51.4, after David had gone into Bathsheba, he wrote, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that, okay, so that, this is why the sin happened. Uh, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God's judgment is grace and his word is Jesus. And into David's sin within Bathsheba's womb, Jesus, the prince of peace, was conceived. Jesus, son of Mary and great, 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 great grandson of David and Bathsheba, born out of their sin. Evil is a void. And sin in me is a bad will in me. It's a void in me. And so I try to fill the void with more void. I try to fix myself with more self. I try to fix my bad will with bad will, and I think that's called usually re religion. I try to fix my sin with more sin. In other words, I try to save myself from my sin with myself, which is sin, until ultimately I have no choice but to just 
Let it be. If I think I save me from my sin, I cannot be saved from my sin, for my sin is thinking that I am the Savior. Ultimately, I just have to let my sin be. <laughs> Which is to let my Savior be. Which is to let me, the true, real, eternal me, be. Which is to let the new creation be. Which is to let heaven be. You cannot pay for heaven. You can only let it be. <laughs> In other words, you have been saved by grace, through faith. And even that faith is grace. It's God's goodwill born in the womb of your bad will. It's Jesus born in your manger, rising in your tomb. It's his blood coursing through your body. St. Paul wrote, it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. And, and, it, and, and it happens. Where does it happen? It happens at this table. Happens at this, at this tree where the will of God and the word of God took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiven. And so repeat these words after me. Let it be. <laughs> now, some of you, I know, are still a little nervous. And this is why you're nervous. You're thinking to yourselves, hey, uh, Peter, if you just so liberally proclaim forgiveness that, you know, everybody's just forgiven much and, and people believe you, well then they'll feel free to, 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 to sin much, to will what God does not will, and God is love and God wills love. In other words, this is what you're worried about. You're worried because you're thinking, hey Peter, um, if people believe that they're forgiven much, they'll sin much. Well that's ironic, isn't it? What was it that Jesus said? The one forgiven much loves much and you are being made in the image of love and so everything that I have to say to you in this sermon in fact everything that I ever preach is this you my friends have been forgiven much so repeat these words after me let it be. Amen. Your grace is enough, Lord. Amen. Your, your grace is enough. That's got to be like the understatement of all time.
Do you, you know what I mean? Your, your grace is enough. That's like saying, God, yeah, I guess God, you're enough for me. <laughs> Our Lord is grace. And his kingdom is grace. It's all grace. And so what's the problem? We have not yet learned grace. And so where does he teach us grace? At his tree. The one forgiven much loves much. How are we made in his image? By seeing that we're forgiven much. So you don't have to go out and sin a bunch that grace would abound. Because you've already sinned. You're already dead in your trespasses and sins, okay? People manifest it in different ways. But, 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 but you are forgiven much. We need to see that we're forgiven much in order to love much. Or think of it this way. Here's my mom. The, uh, the first time I was born, my mom did it, right? You were there, right? You remember that? Do you remember it? I don't even remember it, okay? I don't... I don't even remember it. It was all grace. It was all a gift from my mom and my dad that I was born. And what was I? I was a selfish little turd. I mean, all I cared about was myself, right? I mean, just milk and whatever, you know, just give it to me. Um, that's, that, that, that was me. But the second time I was born, and you see, all of that was gift from God too, right? That, that I was born in the first place. It's all gift. It's all gift, but I don't realize it. But the second time I was born, I begin to understand grace. That's how you do it. That's how you make me. That's why I am unique in all creation. I am a creation that knows how it was created with the body and blood of Jesus. So by way of benediction, and then you're gonna say, let it be, okay? You are forgiven much.